starting a new sermon series today called Serve Big. A few years ago, as our congregation thought about the future and what life ahead would be like, we, we picked some little phrases that just help us to de- define that. And one of them is uh, we want to be community-focused. And to be community-focused, that means we're, we're not locked to this property, to this building, to this place, but we're aware of the needs in the community around us and engaging them. And yet in conversations over the last uh, month or two, I've realized that maybe we need a clear understanding of what it means to be community focused and what that could look like for us. So today, uh, we're going to start for several weeks uh, a journey I'm just trying to figure out what that means for us and what that looks like in the days ahead for our congregation. A number of years ago, I started thinking about a question. It was for me. It wasn't for anyone else, but for me. And that was a question of where do I serve? How do I help make a difference in our community? And I found some avenues where I could begin doing that. But I think that's a question that every believer, every follower of Jesus needs to ask. Where do you serve? And now, most of you serve a lot here in this church, and I'm not talking about that, nor am I discounting that. That's important. But I also want us to think about where do we serve out there? Where are we touching the world around us to leverage God's love in a way that people are made whole again because of his grace and his goodness? Some time ago, Rick Warren was asked a simple question, and he responded this way. He said, we are only fully alive when we're helping others. We're only fully alive when we're helping others. Let's put some scripture context, some some Bible to that. If you want to follow along in your Bible, even if it's a different uh, version than what I'm reading, look at Isaiah chapter 58, either in your own Bible or the Bible on your phone or your tablet or the Bible in the pew in front of you, and you're reaching for all of those as I (laughs) I look. Uh, Isaiah 58, I'm reading from the NIV. You might be looking at something else, but you can follow along. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and have, has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say. And you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? 
to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to spare your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will shine, will break forth, shine forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. The value of helping others has always been true to God's heart. Always. I, I Quoted Rick Warren for you a moment ago that we're only fully alive when we're helping others. His statement is in agreement with Jesus who said, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Those are Jesus' words. That value of God held closely by him. The value of helping others has always been close to his heart. The prophet Isaiah was uh, working and helping and bringing the word of God to the people of Judah. It was a dark time in their history. The northern kingdom of Israel, God's people, had already fallen. And now they're trying to cry out to God, worried about their future, uncertain of what's ahead. And they were threatened, Uh, Isaiah makes it clear, not because of an enemy out there, but because of an unfaithfulness in their heart to God. They were crying out to God in distress, yet their prayers went unanswered. The Bible tells us that they were eager to know God's ways, to know how he works, to know him personally. They fasted abstaining from food in order to humble themselves before him. They desired his justice because they wanted their life to be okay. And yet there was a problem. In all of their seeking and looking and hunting for God, they felt like their prayers were bouncing off the ceiling above them and that their fasting was getting them nowhere. And the truth of the matter is, Isaiah says, what you're thinking and feeling is right. You do have a problem. But it's not for the reason you think. They were confused as to why God wasn't answering their wrenching pleas for help. Why wouldn't God respond to a group of people who called out for help? And yet, it seemed he wasn't. And the reminder comes, 
God's heart, his pure holy heart, has always leaned heavily toward those who are hurting and broken. His love of, he is a God of love and compassion. And the people of Judah knew that. It's why they were so confused. It was, it was why they were puzzled as to why their fasting and prayer never brought the answer they wanted. And so Isaiah tells them plainly, on the day of your fasting, you're doing that not to please God. You're doing as you please. You're exploiting your workers. You're behaving unjustly. You're disobeying, disobeying God. Your fasting is uh, ending in quarreling, an argument with the people around you. And st- uh, that phrase, striking each other with wicked fists, is a strong one. And then he says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Isaiah reveals a profound indictment upon the people of God. They were interested in only themselves, living for themselves, and using other people as a means for their personal gain. And God says, all the fasting and praying you want won't overcome that wickedness in your heart. You're only about yourself. You're only in this for the good I can give to you personally. And you have no compassion, no concern, no regard for the things that are going on around you. And then he goes on and says, Is not the fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the oppressed? Isn't the fasting that God has chosen to share our food with the hungry, to provide for the poor, If you look at verse 8, if you still have your Bibles open, uh, I notice that the word then appears several times. It's after this call from the prophet to give attention to the injustice and the needs around them that he says then, implying if you do those things, then your light will break like a dawn. Then your righteousness will go before you. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And Isaiah revealed a powerful truth for all of us. The way to favor with God begins when his people, that's you and me, take our eyes off of self and set them on others. His focus is on the hungry, the homeless, the broken. His heart leans to the suffering one under injustice. When we get involved in the things that break God's heart, we open the door for his love and grace into our own situation. And I think that's the message that Isaiah brought to the people as they're asking, why are our prayers not being answered? Why are we not receiving the blessing of God? Why is our fasting proving to be of no avail? It's because they weren't involved with the things that break God's heart. They were involved with the things that broke their heart. And often those two things are not the same. We open the door for God's love and grace in our own situation when we get involved with the things that break God's heart. God's answer was for them to get involved in addressing the needs of God's people around them. It's no wonder that when announcing himself 
to God's people that Jesus quoted this same prophet Isaiah when he said at the temple one day, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You remember that verse, don't you? Luke chapter 4. Jesus sitting at the temple, quoting the prophet Isaiah, reading from his scroll. And he says, I'm the embodiment of this. I'm the embodiment. I'm the anointed one to proclaim good news to the poor, to help free the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. You see, God has never been interested in our preoccupation with ourselves. That isn't to say that he's unconcerned with our personal problems and needs. Obviously, he is, and he gives attention to them. But it's the reminder that he has placed each of us, within each of us, the potential to make the world around us a better place, a place more like his plan. It's the reminder that the message of God has always been to engage in the brokenness of the world and be a part of my plan to help fix it. That's why Jesus was so puzzled when uh, the mother of James and John came to her or came to him one day, and she had a very special request, uh, looking out for her sons as any mother would do. Uh, she, she came into his presence and she says, Jesus, I know something's... This is the Jerry Webb translation, by the way. Uh, I know something's coming. I know there's a shift about to happen. And I know that your kingdom is going to come in a miraculous new way that we've never encountered before. And when that happens, Jesus, would it be possible? Could you please orchestrate things so that my boys, my precious James, and my beloved John could sit by you? In your kingdom? Could they have a special place in proximity to you? (laughs) Oh my, the audacity of that woman. I love the boldness. That's a mother's love, if I have ever seen a mother's love. And yet Jesus responds, calling all of his disciples to him. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life for us. His invitation is for all of us to follow that example and give our lives to the needs of brokenness around us, to people who are hurting, people who find their lives are empty. God says, this is the way to my favor. Not so much that you seek it for yourself, but that you enter in the work that I'm doing and you help others. And in so doing, you will find blessing on your own. Rick Russo is pastor of LifeBridge Church in Colorado. Talking about this passage, he, he describes it this way. 
And as he thinks about the implication of Isaiah 58 for the church today, he says there are two kinds of people and there are two kinds of churches. There are those who are internally focused, fasting and seeking God, but doing nothing about the needs around them. And there are externally focused people and churches, giving themselves in service to others. That statement requires me to ask a question. I hope it's not unpleasant. Which one are you? Are you the person who's just always thinking about yourself? Your wants, your wishes, your desires, your hopes, your dreams. Or are you the person who who realizes that the way to your happiness, satisfaction, the way to your right standing with God is not by focusing on yourself, but by focusing on the needs around you that God is already addressing I love the way Henry Blackaby talks about getting into the will of God. He says all you have to do is take a look around and see where God's at work and go join him. Go join him. It's not to sit by waiting for God to answer our pleas for help and listening to our special cries thinking that we're all that and he should just attend to each one of us, even though he does but it's to take our eyes off of ourselves and and to do what Jesus did when he picked up the towel and took the basin and he washed the feet of his disciples. He he served. Everywhere he went, he served. And so, where do you serve? A couple weeks ago, I made an ask of you and asked that you would pray for revival. But if you, if you remember how I asked that and how we've talked about it since, I didn't ask you just to pray for your own personal revival. That's kind of self-serving. It's okay to pray that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Actually, I invited you to pray for your own personal revival. But I also ask you to pray not just for yourself, but to pray for others as well by praying for corporate revival. See, the health of every local church will be found in the answer to this question. Are we here for ourselves, or are we here to serve the community around us? Are we here for ourselves, or are we here to serve the community around us? Quoting Pastor Rousseau, uh, because he's been one of the leaders in uh, coining this phrase, the externally focused church, and then Uh, writing much about it and championing the way as he's led his church to this, he, he makes a comment. He said, internally focused churches concentrate on getting people into the church and generating activity there. Externally focused churches find entry into their community and serve the needs of the broken, the hurting, the lost. He goes on to say, worship, teaching, personal devotions are absolutely necessary for building the internal capacity necessary to sustain an external focus. But if all the human and financial resources are expended inside the four walls of the church, no matter how spiritual things may appear to be, something is missing. I think serving others is a gateway to sharing the gospel. I've thought this for a long time. I haven't said it quite the way I'm going to say it right now. Uh, 
but I think this statement is true. Good deeds in the community leads to, lead to, goodwill among our neighbors, which opens the door to share the good news. Good deeds in the community lead the way to goodwill among our neighbors, which opens the door to share the good news. That's what it means to focus beyond ourselves, to focus beyond the walls, beyond the the borders of our property, and to engage the community. Church leaders have identified characteristics of churches that they identify as externally focused. They talk about these four things. Externally focused churches are convinced that good deeds and good news can't and shouldn't be separated. Just as it takes two wings to lift an airplane off the ground... So externally focused churches couple good news with good deeds to make an impact in their communities. The good news explains the purpose of the good deeds. Externally focused churches see themselves as vital to the health and well-being of their communities. Often these churches begin by asking themselves, would our community miss us if we were gone? And if they don't like the answer to that question, they go about changing it to make sure that they're engaged in the community in a way that that builds the health and vitality of the community. It's only when the church is mixed into the very life and conversation of the city that it can be an effective force for change. These churches believe that ministering and serving are normal expressions of Christian living. Even more, they believe that Christians grow best when they are serving and giving themselves away to others. They are convinced that Christians can learn through good instruction, but they really cannot grow if they remain uninvolved in ministry and service. And fourth, externally focused churches are evangelistically effective. People are looking for places of authenticity where the walk matches the talk where faith is making a difference. Let's look again at the prophet's words. Isaiah 58, the last half of verse 9 and following. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and a malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, that statement's a big one, if... Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The clarion call is clear. The way to God's favor is found in losing our preoccupation with ourselves and spending ourselves, giving ourselves in behalf of the hungry, the poor, the homeless, the needy, those who are lost in the brokenness of injustice. May the Lord help us to get lost in those things. To spend ourselves in behalf of the brokenness we find around us. And in so doing, we'll find that he hears our prayers. That he answers our fasting, our crying, our pleas. And that we become like him in all his ways. Thank you, Jesus. For the reminder of Isaiah as he prophesied to the people about their own brokenness.
their own waywardness and disobedience. And it reminded them that the way to health and vitality was not to focus on themselves, but to look for the needs around them and engage in those needs and make a difference in the world. Lord, would you help each of us to do that? Our church is making efforts to do some of those things. Would you bless them and multiply them? Would you allow us to get even more engaged, even more involved? Lord, sometimes it's the easy way just to send a check. And we do that well. But help us to do more than that. Help us to see the brokenness and the needs and to roll up our sleeves and get involved and help and make a difference. Because that'll build your kingdom. That'll be the kind of place that honors God. And we'll be blessed in so doing. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together.